Picture a jazz band on a stage made up of college students, but each musician is at least six feet apart and they're wearing masks. Some of them playing their instruments through these like slots for their mouthpieces. Joseph Ching, a junior at Purdue, is playing the piano. You can see all this in the recording of the concert, but there was no audience in the auditorium to listen, which definitely made it less festive. Joseph said it really felt just like any other rehearsal. The, the, the band before us, like, there weren't really enough people to get like a like hearty applause either, so it was kind of sad. The scene feels like a fitting symbol of the semester. Everyone's working really hard, and it looks a little like college when you view it on YouTube. But it's still unclear how satisfying or successful this time all was in terms of learning. Welcome to the Ed Surge Podcast, where each week we look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young, a reporter here at Ed Surge. This is the final episode of our Pandemic Campus Diaries series. As regular listeners know, all semester long, we have been hearing intimate reports from students and professors on six campuses. The goal has been to capture what college life is like during this time, to hear some key challenges and find out how people are getting through them. This is episode eight. So if you are new to all this, you can go back on this podcast feed, uh, all the way back to the first episode, which ran in late August, and catch up if you want and really dig into these stories. Some of the campuses we picked were committed to doing as much in-person teaching and activities as possible, even during this health crisis. While other colleges we looked at decided early on to focus attention online and pretty much shutter campuses for now. And one question for our series finale is, which decision was the right one for students and professors? We're starting with Purdue, which became kind of the poster child for keeping campus open. Purdue's president, Mitch Daniels, spent the summer selling its reopening plan, going on CNN and doing other media interviews, touting the miles of plexiglass barriers that Purdue was installing and other measures of the Protect Purdue initiative. Protect Purdue was kind of a brand hyped on campus to try to sell this idea that Purdue students and professors are, are special and can engineer their way through the pandemic and still get their educations. Joseph Ching, that student in the jazz band we've been following all semester, started out excited to have this campus experience. But he very quickly realized that, yes, he's living on campus, but not many of his classes were actually in person, since most of the professors in the classes that he had happened to sign up for chose to teach remotely. In an early episode, we heard Joseph walk into a classroom only to find that just a few students were sitting in desks there watching a projection of the professor who's teaching via Zoom. The professor was at home. In a typical semester before COVID, Joseph figures he sat in classrooms learning for about 15 to 18 hours per week. This semester, though, he typically spent just an hour and a half in physical classrooms each week. But professors expected students to log loads of hours on Zoom or YouTube. The professors interpreted that as, okay, well, then I have to have 15 to 18... I have to have that same hours equivalent online, right? So then I have, if I have three hours in person, supposedly, now I have to have three hours of online material. And usually that's lecture, right? Because that's what they're familiar with. So you end up with three hours of lecture material to go over. 
um, I was, I was talking to like a learning design and technology professor about this. And she was saying, it's just kind of our attention span when, with regard to screens. It's, we can't, um, process, we just can't sit and watch a lecture for that long. Like really like the courses were really not up to par at all. So when it came down to it, Joseph found it hard to watch hour-long lectures on video, even when he sped them up using this 2X feature that makes voices sound kind of like chipmunks. Then if this length here... We know is 2R, then D is going to be equal to, and theta is here. That was an actual lecture video Joseph was assigned to watch at some point, and a sense of what that 2X speed sounds like. So this usually super studious student found his attention drifting off. Towards the end, I realized I didn't manage my time as effectively as I should have. Um, and I'm not sure if that was like due to the pandemic. I was, it was easier for me to um, get involved with other things or just not have academics as my main priority because I wasn't in the classroom. And yeah, his grades did suffer. And he admits he probably didn't learn as much as he had hoped. I completely bombed like the second exam. And it was actually the week of the election. So I was like pretty, a lot of stuff going on. And um, I couldn't really focus on studying. Yeah, and that really showed <laughs> with the test results. So Joseph is now back home with his parents in Minnesota. The last day of in-person activities was just before Thanksgiving, and everyone is finishing up exams remotely. They did it without having to close campus down, which it's a strange kind of victory, since plenty of people did get COVID in the campus and in town. So is Joseph glad he decided to do this semester in person? After all, students at Purdue did have the option of just staying home and doing the whole thing remotely if they didn't want to risk coming to campus. Little hesitant about that, but I'm glad that I went back to campus uh, and experienced it to see how it was. Um, I guess experience. I thought it would be a better experience. I I don't know if like I mean looking back, I'm not sure. Like academically, if I might have been more focused if I was at home, to be honest. but I, I wouldn't take back the decision. What about a professor's perspective on how teaching went under the Protect Purdue banner? Deb Nichols, a Purdue professor who we've been following all semester, did try to teach her classes in person. For a while, at least. I think, for me, the moment that sort of captures the semester is when I showed up in my um, class face-to-face and no one came um, to the face-to-face part, but they did show up for the Zoom part. So I taught a Zoom class from my classroom with just me and my TA present. But for Deb, she showed up in person, and it was the students who had chosen the online route to watch from Zoom instead. In some cases, they did that because they were sick or in quarantine because they'd been exposed to someone who had COVID. And at that point, I moved everything to online synchronous um, learning. And, um, you know, I had 
uh, I think maybe at that point, 18 or so of my students in some form of quarantine or isolation. Um, that was variable. I, after a while, I used to track it at the beginning of the semester, and by that point, I just didn't. Um, so either they were that or they were just overwhelmed. Um, and I think that's what captures the semester is everyone feeling overwhelmed and mentally drained and and just physically and emotionally worn out. She is chairing the university senate this term. And in that role, she's been surveying faculty throughout the semester. And those surveys found people are really burned out and just feel like they can't get done in the day all the things that are expected of them. One of the things that's fallen by the wayside for many professors is research, as they've shifted more time to teaching and to various committee work that keeps campus running. One professor who's feeling particularly disrupted when it comes to her research is Sabina Brunswicker, a professor who directs the Research Center for Open Digital Innovation at Purdue. She was planning to go abroad in the spring for a long-planned research trip. I was planning to go on sabbatical um, next spring. And, um, and it's actually hard. So I was speaking to my host uh, the other week, and, uh, you know, um, they want me to come in fall, and now I'm, you know, there thinking, what should I do? I um, have all the formal approvals. I went through this. It's quite a long-winding process, getting approval for a sabbatical. And I was really looking forward to it. And now um, you can't do actually what you wanted to do in the same way, spending time in a research setting, in an inspiring setting with people, thinking about the you know, research that, we're, that should make a difference. And you can't do it that way. You can't work in the same... You can't do it in... Um, because of the restrictions we have. But back to the question of whether Protect Purdue worked. Deb Nichols admits it could have been worse. I guess I could say that I'm surprised we made it all the way to Thanksgiving with some form of, uh, I guess, without shutting down the campus. That was a surprise to me. Um, and, And... We were doing really great for a long time, and then um, football started back up, and the students, um, you know, I don't remember when that happened, maybe sometime near Halloween, and it was a couple weeks later that you started to see the uptick in cases in in the county where Purdue is, and that's really started to tick up of late. We have more restrictions in place, and I'm just hoping that as students... Um, We're heading home for the holidays that um, hopefully none of them um, infected family members. Another campus that pushed to go back in person was Texas State University. But plenty of professors there put in requests to their deans to teach online as well. And that was the case for the professor we've been following, Rachel Davenport. She's a senior lecturer in biology. She's won several awards for her teaching, both online and in person. But she thought things would just go smoother for everyone if she taught online this semester. So she did most of the instruction from her home office over Zoom. How did it go? Uh, We fell behind on the material in all of my classes. Um, In my major lecture class, um, I didn't get to cover an entire chapter and a half. So that was a little bit of a bummer. I feel like I kind of skimped out on the students, like they didn't get 
as much as they signed up for. But she said there were bright spots, like high student engagement with the material. And their grades were much higher. Um, it was actually their overall final grades I, I just submitted um, in my big lecture course. They were uh, increased by a half a letter grade by five percentage points. So they were performing well. Um, I had really excellent attendance by Zoom. I actually think I had higher attendance by Zoom than I do in a just face-to-face classroom. Rachel did go to campus one day a week to teach a lab. And the atmosphere on campus was nothing like what she's used to before COVID hit. Um, it was pretty quiet, honestly. You know, most students, instead of hanging around socializing, were not so much doing that. Um, they were kind of tucked away at tables or quiet cubbies or, you know, um, or in their dorms or in their apartments. So there were far less people there than usual. Um, there was far less camaraderie or chatting. It, it kind of felt, some days it just felt like a ghost town, like nobody was there. So does she think Texas State made the right call to try to stay open? Like at Purdue, the university was able to make it to the end of the semester without any catastrophic outbreaks. When people are saying like, well, we only had X number of cases and nobody at Texas State has died yet, (laughs) which doesn't seem like quite the right measure, but um, I can't help but feel like, right, but we were playing Russian roulette. Like you don't play Russian roulette and then if, if the bullet isn't in the chamber when you pull the trigger, you don't say like, oh, I was right to play this. <laughs> it was still a terrible idea. Um, you just got really lucky. So I, I don't know. I, I personally think staying open put a lot of people at risk and put a lot of faculty um, in a position of having to do way more work than they needed to. When she says that some of the professors had to do way more work, she means the ones who taught large classes in person. And to keep things safe, they divided the classes into two groups. One group would come on one day, another group would come a different day of the week. And this was all just a lot to manage. I think those that had to teach that A-B model and figure out how to have half of their students there at a time and half on Zoom, but also cater to the students who can't ever come in who are or who are sick. For, I mean, I, I think um, the, the faculty that were on campus actually had a harder time juggling even more because they were also putting things online. It's just they were doing both online and face-to-face. So in, personally, and from the stories that I've heard, um, it, 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 the faculty are exhausted, and I think they would have done better to be online. So how did she say goodbye to these students in her online classes that she never met in person but taught all semester? Well, I mean, I blew a lot of kisses. (laughs) I mean, we were on Zoom. So, um, you know, I just, I did tell them, of course, how special they all are and just how proud and amazed I am at how well the semester went. And yeah, I mean, I I didn't quite cry, but it was close. (laughs) Um, And yeah, you know, I, I blew a lot of kisses. What about the student perspective at Texas State? The student there who we've been following, Luz Elena Anaya Chong, ended up having all of her professors make the same decision that Rachel did. They all chose to teach online. And so at the last minute this summer, Elena decided to save money and live back home with her family instead of going to campus. Though she did visit the campus a couple times during the semester to visit friends and see her boyfriend. 
so I did remember at the beginning I was so frustrated with my economics class and then I think it was a week before finals I was talking to my professor and I was like hey is there any way I could get an A in, a, an a in any of your classes and he was like yeah there's still plenty of time we only have finals left so I was like okay keeping my hikes up uh, my hopes up sorry um so yeah, I try my best. I as I spend days studying for both of my economic um tests, and um, well, it didn't turn out. I end up getting B's in both, but I mean, I was able to finish that class strong because I was very worried I was not even gonna pass. All semester in her audio diaries, she talked about the challenges that she faced of keeping up with all the various tech platforms that her professors were using for assignments and quizzes, and to manage everything when there weren't the usual cues from in-person meetings. And it turns out one of her finals had a stressful glitch that kind of summed up her general frustrations with tech all semester. Uh, When I was doing my first final for the semester, I got so caught up in the first part that I forgot that I still had to finish the second part that was like creating problems and I had to like scan them and then submit it to my professor. So I so I had to turn this by 4.30. So at 4.28, I look, I see the clock and I'm like, oh my God, it's 4.28 and I have not even scanned them and I have not finished the test. So I end up scanning the test real fast. Uh, and then when I tried to submit it, it didn't allow me. Oh my God, I was so frustrated. That was the first time ever something like that happened to me. Like in my whole like time that I have been at school, I have never not turned in an assignment and nothing like as important as my final exam. I was so frustrated. I started crying. I was like, oh my God, really? Um, so I ended up emailing my professor. He was understanding and um, honestly... Like even that, even though we're not on campus anymore, even logging in into your professor office hours, it really helps because they get to know you and they know who you are. And like, I'm not the type of person that lacks in work. Like, yeah, like a slack. Sorry, uh, but maybe in a situation like this, they can help you out a little bit. And he allowed me to turn it in by email. So I'm so thankful. For, um, thankful that he did that for me. Actually, Elena had originally planned to do a study abroad in Germany this semester. She had saved up and dreamed about this opportunity. But the fall trip was canceled because of COVID. At first, it was postponed until the spring. But recently, it was canceled again. She's a senior, so this means the whole timing of when she's going to graduate college is suddenly up in the air. The current plan, though, is to do the study abroad, but in the fall of 2021. Now, the immediate question is where she'll live in the spring. With her family down in South Texas, where she's been doing online classes. Or San Marcos, where Texas State's located. I, When I was registering for classes next semester, one of my classes was in person. And and then uh, my, econ- my, my other economic classes for next semester just transitioned in person to... So I think I might have to move back to San Marcos. So, I mean, I'm happy, but I'm still concerned because the pandemic is not over. And uh, I mean, the financial situations are still hard on everybody. So I'm a little bit worried about that. But I mean, I'm happy that I'm going back um, to the little town that I love so much. 
Not everyone had such a rough time, though. The student who was most upbeat about the experience this term was Josh Friesen, a freshman at Syracuse University, which had also decided to keep campus open and try to do as much in person as possible. And even though he was in person, some of his classes were still online, and others were in person but required that people sit six feet apart and wear masks. But what made being on campus worth it for him were the social aspects. And he feels that the students in his dorm became closer than they would have otherwise, because they were only allowed to socialize within their own dorm building rather than visit any of the other dorms for health reasons. And he's still been able to do things like go to the gym, which was by appointment only. And he even got involved with some in-person student clubs, like one for sport analytics. He's interested in being someone who organizes stats for things like scouting reports for major league soccer teams. He wouldn't have wanted to miss any of these in-person opportunities. One of the kids I'm really close with that's in my program stayed home for the semester. And he's like happy that they're saving money because you got to save room and board, all that. But he's like, I wish I was there. Like he, he wants to be there because he knows he's missing out on all the experiences because we're still like all having these experiences and stuff. Still, he admits he's surprised that enough students followed the COVID protocols to keep campus open. Well, as we said in our last episode, the cases were spiking right before Thanksgiving and some things did shift online, but they never had to send everyone home early, as Josh had feared. I did not think we were going to make it. I really didn't. And a lot of people did. And I was like, I just don't think we are. And I was wrong, which is a good thing, obviously. He filed his last audio diary just before Thanksgiving, as he was putting everything in his small dorm room into boxes. Because at this point, the university doesn't know whether it will be starting the spring semester in person or online. So today is the day I'm moving out. We had to pack up like all of our stuff. We can't have any loose items in the room. Like Everything that's loose has to be in boxes. We have to like take the sheets off our bed, all that stuff, label the boxes, all that, put it like on top of our bed and all that. Because if, if we don't come back next semester, we're like, they're either going to send our stuff back to us or put it into storage, like up to us. But we have to have everything packed away in case we don't go back second semester. So right now I have two big boxes with all my loose stuff on the bed as well as box fan and all of my stacking drawers that I had and used this semester. So my room doesn't look much like my room anymore. It's kind of weird, but it is what it is. You know, these are different times and I'm happy that I got to essentially complete the entire semester on campus and I had a blast. So that's the experience at three universities that tried to keep campuses open this semester. What about the ones who made the call early to do fall 2020 online? San Francisco State University is one of those that went the fully online route. And one of the professors we followed, David Peña Guzman, made the most of that by doing very distant teaching. He moved to Paris to live through COVID times with his partner and to do some research at some archives there, at least when they were open. Because of the nine-hour time difference between San Fran and Paris, that meant one of his weekly classes took place at three in the morning, his time. Early on, 
I, I was so sure of myself, you know, oh, it's no problem. I've pulled all-nighters in the past, sometimes in a row, um, you know, typically for partying back in my 20s. But I, I was convinced that it would be no big deal. Um, and two weeks in, you know, having to, to structure your sleep schedule over the course of a week with, a, with an all-nighter in the middle actually a lot more tricky um and it, it really meant that i had to give up on thursdays uh which is typically a day that i that i work on my own research so that was the most difficult thing i was very open with my students you know they knew that i was in paris they knew about the time they would joke with me about you know what you know like me teaching in basically rem sleep um and uh, be, yeah, because of Zoom, it, it didn't really make any difference except that a couple of times, I have to admit, I was sleepy. You know, even if I, even if I slept in the afternoon, just by the time three o'clock in the morning kicked in, once or twice, I, I had to like really pull through and, uh, you know, have a little bit of coffee or have some tea Um you know, maybe a little bit of bourbon <laughs> behind the screen um, just to maintain my, my wakeful state. As regular listeners know, David had ups and downs throughout the semester, with some students who were on his roster just not participating, and his attempts to reach out to students not knowing whether they were slacking off or they had a health reason, possibly related to COVID. But he says... He mostly stayed upbeat this semester, despite the challenges, except during one period. So right after the election, I was feeling really burnt out, just I think the week immediately after, or rather during, because it turned out to be a process and it's still an ongoing process with one party refusing to accept the inevitable. Um, that's when it really hit me. And uh, for the first time, I sent an email to all my students saying, I'm sorry, but I cannot do class this week. I can't think about anything. I tried to do the reading and I couldn't do it. Um, I tried grading and I couldn't do it. So um, I just canceled all my classes. And that's the first time that I've done that across the board for any reason that was not a medical emergency or going to a conference. And so now on the other side of that, I actually have felt much more energized. It was almost like a, a big release um, of bent up energy. Um, and uh, yeah, it's odd because I know for a lot of people now they're feeling the burnout as we're getting to the end of the semester and that, that makes sense. But so much energy was taken out of me by the political situation in the days surrounding the election that there was nothing else to lose. So there were, there were only things to gain afterwards. One thing that David discovered this semester to help him is actually something this podcast inspired. I've learned the value of audio recordings such as this one. So after I was invited to be a guest and a featured participant in this podcast, I realized how easy it is to just record something on my phone and email it. And so I've decided to start communicating with my students in that way. So instead of writing long emails with all the information that my students would need to have, 
Now I just pick up my phone, I open the app for audio recording, and I send them a recording with my voice talking about what they need to know. And it seems to me like this is a much better way of communicating with students, especially about things that maybe are not absolutely essential. And it adds an element of personalization where, especially in my asynchronous scores, at least they get to hear my voice on a regular basis. Oh, and there's another thing David's doing with audio these days. Hi, I'm Ellie Anderson. And I'm David Peña Guzman. And we're your favorite new professors. We're super excited to share with you our new podcast, Overthink. Yep. David started his own podcast called Overthink with a colleague who's a professor at Pomona College. Their tagline is, a philosophy podcast you'll actually want to listen to. Smart but cool, fun but deep. We're, we're getting some emails from people who say they're really enjoying it, and so that's really all we were going for. You know, it's not, it's not monetized in any way. It's just for the love of philosophizing, since it is a philosophy podcast. Um, and so it's somewhere between educational and f- fun, you know, um, in the way in which academic philosophy can be fun. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a cap limit to that. <laughs> I have been listening to it and I totally recommend it. As this semester was winding down, right before he was set to teach his last class, he ended up flying back to San Francisco for a while. He just landed last week. I am uh, really happy to be back, but I can't help but feel like I am in a strange city. Uh, I wasn't expecting this feeling. What all of my students already knew, all the ways in which COVID changed the landscape of the city, I'm only experiencing them for the first time now. And so I'm getting used to seeing the busy parts of town completely deserted especially now that the mayor of San Francisco announced a new lockdown. And so for the first time, I'm seeing the effects of this pandemic on this city that has been where I've lived for several years, but that I left before the start of the pandemic. So dealing with the psychology of being in the same space where I've always been but having to develop a fundamentally new routine. Finding a routine when the pandemic has changed so many other aspects of life has in fact been a struggle all semester for Marjorie Blen, a first-generation student who just transferred to San Francisco State from a local community college. She's an example of how online education during this pandemic is a whole different experience for students who are also parents. This semester has been a really really stressful year and being at state without actually navigating you know as a transfer student navigating and knowing the system and the culture and and all the services that provide it was really tough to adapt i also look back into all the moments that um i took classes and you know my classmates and stuff and I just realized, like, it really, like, if school within the classroom is 100%, right, I was only able to do 60%. And I don't mean work-wise, right, because I have to turn in my work, but I mean engagement. Like, 
studying and doing all this stuff that when you are at school physically just naturally happens and when you're at home you can't do that I try so hard to designate an area to just sit down and do work when my kids home with my partner home you know it's like we're constantly like being interrupted my my mindset my ideas so yes I did pass my um papers you know and like I some were the great and some weren't but like I didn't give it that a hundred percent of why I should have gave to my work not because I didn't want to not because I'm lazy not because you know it's just so much I like tell my an example right I tell my kid I'm like hey, I'm going to be on this meeting or talking to my classmates or whatever. Don't not, just don't bother me. Do not bother me. Two seconds. It's like goes in one year and comes out the other. Mom, mom, can I order this from Amazon? Mom, can I get a snack? Mom, can I get this? And it's like, right? And it, and, and it's like, I have this finger thing that I do. I don't know if anybody does it off of Zoom, but I like, that means get away from me or you're about to be grounded for the rest of your life. Um, and they kind of got it, but it's like, I, it's just so hard, you know? And then, okay, once I'm done off the computer, like I spent an insane amount of time in the computer and my eyes hurt sometimes. Um, my back, I saw my back is not, doesn't really like it either, you know? And I'm not that old, you know, I'm not saying like, you know, I'm not, young either but you know I'm still there you know and it's like I it's just becoming really difficult what do you do like do you take the computer to the kitchen and stand up and do work and or you know take breaks like it's still not the ideal situation for anybody to be learning you know and then and then as regular listeners know Marjorie felt so overwhelmed that she was considering dropping a class or two and going part-time. But it turns out that would have put her financial aid at risk. And so she stuck it out with her full-time load. Just, it was just so overwhelming. And I'm just happy that it's over and that I can move on. And this time around, I'm going to try to remove a lot of stuff out of my plate. I wish they let us do part-time and it wouldn't affect our financial aid. But they don't, they can't, or whatever, you know, so I have to take another four classes. So, you know, with that being said, I, I'm just going to push through like I did with this one, and hopefully by mid-spring things, you know, they're allowed us to at least come to the library if we schedule online, like rooms, you know how they have, like, rooms um, to study by yourself, and maybe I can take some time. I'm hoping that by that time we have more vaccine, and they're like, okay, you know, you're not at risk so much like older folks and whatever, you know? While San Francisco State spent months planning for this online semester, at Chapman University in Southern California, professors and students spent most of the summer planning to go in person. But at the last minute, officials decided to do the semester online only. And that was a tough adjustment for Natalie Ricciardi, a junior pre-med major. Honestly, I think I was expecting things to go back to normal because that's what I knew. That's what I was comfortable with. 
I never knew how to go to school fully online and be essentially isolated from my family and most of my friends. I mean, I never knew that. And a lot of people share that experience, you know? it. Human beings are uncomfortable with things that they aren't familiar with. And I felt a lot of uncertainty even after starting my classes about the way that they were going to go because doing upper division science classes completely online with no way to connect with a professor beyond through a screen makes it really difficult to succeed in those classes but as time passed i was able to develop relationships with my professors i was able to get to know them and have them get to know me and i worked hard and have been going to student instructor sessions and have done really well this semester despite all of the craziness going on in the world. If it sounds a little bit like she's whispering, there's a reason. And it has to do with the dog she got over Thanksgiving break to keep her company. I'm standing in my bathroom right now because my puppy Kobe is sleeping and I don't want to wake him up. There's one student in this project that we haven't heard from that much this semester because she's so busy juggling her many responsibilities. It's Adrienne Davis, and she's a student at the University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee. Davis also just transferred from a community college, Milwaukee Area Technical College, where she got her associate's degree in e-production and digital media. And she's going to school part-time while working. When I first started talking to her back in the summer, She had landed an internship with the Democratic National Convention that was held there to do some filming. That was when everyone thought the political conventions would be in person this year. It's kind of hard to remember back to the summer. Anyway, the gig fell through, unfortunately. All of Adrienne's classes were online this semester. And that's been hard. But it also had benefits. She was able to get a job at a school as an aide, while also keeping up with her classwork at night. It's been somewhat challenging and it's been really different. I've never had a semester of school where everything was completely online and I struggled with some of my classes just because it's different learning everything online versus um, actually being in the classroom. I used it to my advantage like I was able to work I was able to move and like get my own place and you know pamper do things for myself pamper myself you know give myself lots of self-love but my education definitely um feels different it's not the same as being on campus um all the stories that I heard about UWM in the past years it's a little disappointing because I can't fully experience that college that that college feeling that I always wanted to feel since I was 18 and eventually you know I'll well things will get back to normal so people can enjoy normal lives but you know as of right now this is what it is so which was the better decision for students and professors going online or trying to keep campuses open Certainly, those doing their teaching online had one less layer of stress to worry about, about the health risks of being in person, and about whether the campuses would be able to stay open. But of course, there's the bigger question here 
of the economics of higher education. Robert Kelchin, a professor at Seton Hall who studies higher ed, put it like this. It was a tough decision to make in August when colleges had to balance finances and public safety, and it still continues to be a difficult call because a college that has the virus under control can lose control very quickly. And there are still some colleges that basically lost control, but were able to wrestle the virus back into submission, at least for a period of time. It seems like everyone's wrestling with whether they made the right decision this semester. And I'm wrestling with how to wrap up this whole series. I'm someone who has trouble saying goodbye, and I think it's especially hard because nothing seems over at this moment. Sure, the semester is going to end, and grades will be turned in, but we're looking at a spring that's just as uncertain, and maybe harder as far as the pandemic. The difference, of course, is that now a vaccine is actually on the way. There is an end in sight, but people still have to get through another semester of disruption. I hope this series has given a sense of what living through this crazy time is like. And the last professor that we haven't heard from today from this series, I think put it best. It's Peter Sands, a professor of English at the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. But my sense of the semester as a whole is off. It's not as filled with personal interactions in the hallways and classrooms and the campus gym and the bike path and local businesses. And it is not marked by the usual sense of the so-called rhythms of the semester. For me, at least, it has been one long, steady beat, an unvarying rhythm composed of many more meetings than usual, all on screens, and many fewer office hour and casual interactions with students. Fewer moments of serendipitous discussion in the classroom, because although my class met synchronously twice a week online and the students were game and active, there's a kinesthetic sense gained by moving about the classroom, literally moving our bodies into small groups or working teams or doing things on the whiteboard that I sorely missed. And I say these things as a very experienced online teacher, a longtime member of the editorial board of Kairos, an online journal for techno-rhetoricians, a very early adopter of computers for the classroom. I've been doing some form of this since 1990, and this semester stands out for its feeling like one long, steady exhale more than anything else. Parts of it are just a blank, reflecting on it, um, rarely leaving this, this home office. And I have an irrevocable sense that this semester marks a rupture in my career. I'll not go back to the campus gym where I've been a regular for more than 20 years. I will be back in the library when I can be, but I'd already shifted a lot of my attention to digital resources and interlibrary loans for articles and book chapters. And my sense is that the library as a physical space isn't going to be available to me for quite some time. And I think that even honors colleges such as mine will have permanently moved into online spaces that many faculty have resisted. The possibilities of other ways of doing things, though, have definitely broadened. But there will also be those who dig in harder and insist that face-to-face is the only way, and others who insist that face-to-face is for dinosaurs. And on top of that, I'm acutely aware that a decade of declining revenues and shrinking support for public higher education will only be exacerbated by the pandemic. The haves will always have theirs. The have-nots and small fries have already seen closures and reorganizations. And those in the middle, like my largest state R1 campus, will be transformed by a wave of retirements, by continued freezes in hiring, 
and by a generation of students whose experience of higher education is already fundamentally altered. And I don't know that I'm saying or even capturing or really reflecting on the full sense of what it is like to be at mid-year this year, knowing that the spring semester is going to be the same as this fall in most respects. But it feels, it feels in the academic, literary, reading kind of gut or visceral sense as though we are living in some form of historical rupture, on the other side of which is still a great unknown. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Thanks so much to everyone who has been listening, especially those who stuck with it for all eight episodes of this series into the unknown of the pandemic semester. So how was that? Let us know on social media. And please take a minute to give us a rating or review on whatever podcast app you're using to listen to this. It really helps people find us. Or tell a friend. We are looking to make more of these more highly produced narrative podcast series. So let us know if you appreciate what we're doing and and like this format. This episode was written and produced by me, Jeff Young. And you can find me on Twitter at J.R. Young. Editing this episode by Rob McGinley-Myers. Thanks also to Sasha Aslanian and Rebecca Koenig. And a very special thanks to the students and professors who took the time to send in audio diaries all semester and share these experiences and put up with my pestering emails. Rachel Davenport, Deb Nichols, Sabina Brunswicker, David Guzman, Peter Sands, Luz Elena Anaya Chong, Joseph Ching, Marjorie Blen, Adrian Davis, Natalie Ricciardi, and Josh Friesen. You can read more about all these diarists on our show page at edsurge.com. This podcast series was supported by a reporting fellowship from the Education Writers Association. The music you heard throughout the series was by Ruhaval and some by Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks, as always, to Tony Wan, managing editor of EdSurge. We'll be back next week with more on how education is changing. Thanks for listening, and be well.